Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Saturday night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2. Point. Oh! Pay reviews, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course on WrestleCulture. As I said though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review Saturday Night Dynamite. My head is all over the shop today considering the amount of wrestling we've had to review so far. I can't keep up with where I am. I legitimately can't remember half of Dynamite. We talked about I watched Dynamite on Sunday morning. Just reviewed Smackdown and that was on before. Oh, it's just all over the place. I think it was a great show. You'll have to remind us when we do the run through because Jesus Christ, I don't want all of my primary wrestling consumption condensed across such a narrow time frame ever again. It was a... It, uh, I mean, I have to do it this freaking week as well. Yeah, we've got to do I mean. it again next year. But I don't know whether it was because, like you say, I'd, I watched all of my wrestling on Sunday night because I'd just been all over the place with family stuff. Happy 70th birthday to my daddy. Uh, <laughs> You missed when I called you the daddy. You remember that for a while? That was a gimmick in the office, yeah, wasn't it? You freak. <laughs> anyway, so I watched it all, and you must get this a lot with like lack of sleep with kids and stuff, where you think back to something that you've watched or a memory, and you go, "Did that happen?" Or have I just like modged it up a bit in my head? And I was like. We're FTR dressed as frogs and winners win some tag titles or something. It's a bit of an all over the place show, but I enjoyed it. We'll, we'll dive into it and then we'll, we'll we'll work it out as we go through it. The show started with Dante Martin versus Malachi Black. Um, what did you make of this uh, in terms of it was thrilling? There was bits of miscommunication. It's, it's one where I, I have no doubt if we revisit this match, as in these two people fight again in a year's time, it, it may well be night and day from what we saw here. Yeah, some of the actual like Malachi Black is so great. There are the way he can contort his body into doing something like a he sweeps. I love his sweeps. He don't get enough sweeps, but then again, he's cornered the market on sweeps, mm. sweeping the leg, taking them down. Such a creative, unique way. There were certain ones where I was just so mesmerized by his ability to do that. I thought at one point he'd fallen on his ass. <laughs> that flat was flat. Flat, flat, flat on his fucking ass. But he hadn't. He just went. 
to the ground in a way that you can't defend against, and then he's just flattened. Um, Dante Martin. Look, Dante Martin's nowhere near there yet. This match kind of exposed him in terms of at least going 12 minutes in something where it wasn't like a tag or a trio's context. So yeah, it did account for certain moments of hesitation and confusion where they weren't on the same page. But some of the actual spots, if you want to analyse a match by the sum of its parts because the whole's so much more important. Mm. But the spots were so breathtaking when they hit that you kind of got caught up in the drama all mm. over again. Um, I like the dynamic of Malachi Black not chopping down the tree when he's facing a big guy, but going, stop jumping around so much and just targeting his knees and his legs and stuff. I mean, really simple, basic story, executed very well. The striking expert kicks the leg out of the leg <laughs> out of the gifted aerialist en route to victory because he's a cleverer and more experienced and accomplished wrestler. I just wish it was a little bit better than it was. Like, it was really cool. It was more really cool than really great. Yeah, exactly. Like, a much be... cooler match that made you go, it's cool. Then, I fucking love this. I just wish it was tighter and better, and I wish it had earned that clearly pre-arranged wink or nod spot. Um, because coming from that particular character who's in this kind of form, it would be a lot better and a lot more impactful. But it was like, oh, you've clearly agreed to do that before the match. It would have felt like, oh, maybe he's improvised because he was so impressed by the opponent, had it just really f- struck every single note. Um, it didn't, so that didn't feel particularly earned, but the sentiment there was great. For a split second there, I was going to say, who's that he did to, did that to before, you know? Enjoy your infamy. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, let's move rapidly along. Uh, yeah, some mad stuff. There's some mad spots from Dante. Reverse Hurricane Rana to start his comeback. That, that dive where he didn't even pull himself up to the top rope. He just got there somehow. It was yeah. insane. Like you say, bits of miscommunication, bits of stuff that I'm sure sounded better when they were planning it out than when they actually executed it. But like you say, we're not going to necessarily knock too many points off. Execution-wise, we will, but at least they tried it, I suppose. Um, Dante hit a great top rope Hurricane Rana and uh, you know had the advantage, but because of... Malachi Black kicking the leg out of his leg. He couldn't capitalize on it. Um, Black eventually gets him in a single leg crab. And uh, Dante Martin, because he's been targeting Black's ribs, he manages to get out of it. I don't think there was a kick there. I think it just it was just Malachi Black It's effectively selling that he can't put the torque on the single leg because his when he does that, it stretches his ribs. And it, oh, bloody hell, that hurts. Um, so the finish... Malachi Black. ...was uh, Ma- Malachi Black dodging... <laughs> ...dodging one of Dante Martin's high spots and then just nailing him with whatever we're calling the Black Mass now. They need to call, call it something. Yeah. It's, I'm sure it's got it's, a name. It, I just keep missing it. There's like a million things that can call it. Like the Blackout. No, because that's Archers. Yeah. Maybe the Thought will call it the Blackout. No, you can't do that. Fate to Black. Fate to Black. Fate to Black. Fate to Black. Uh, <laughs> Speaking the truth. <laughs> uh, there's a million things they could call it, um, but they've not given it a new designation. So. <laughs> well, we haven't had enough sleep, have we? That's no. likely what's happened. Anyway, uh, Jurassic Express are backstage um, being asked about their health after that mad match they were in last week. Uh, Christine Cage isn't there. He's got neck problems. 
um, and uh, uh, Jungle Boy's talking about, yeah, he's, he's still pretty shaken up, and he says, well, could have been worse. Could have been Luchasaurus after that vicious-looking powerbomb that they hit. In, of course, comes uh, the Young Bucks, Adam Cole, Kenny Omega. They attack them, super kick them, and then they do powerbomb Luchasaurus properly this time through a table, mug for the camera, and, and all that sort of thing here. Typical heel shenanigans. The elite absolutely love taking a real-life situation, owning it, improving upon it for the sake of a heat segment. I'm going to make this point now, lest I forget, and I made it on Twitter, but the mega fans will forgive me. <laughs> CM Punk on commentary. Again, he was fabulous. He, with each passing wacky backstage segment, which was interrupted either with a confrontation... There's a lot on this show, yeah. ...or an assault... He was very glib about it at first. Like, oh, oh well, I'm going to stay here and I'll go backstage. Otherwise, I'll get beat up. And then, like, the more they did this, he was like, yeah, don't want to go backstage. He was strongly hinting, like, this sucks. Stop doing it. And you know what? leaning on Tony to go and get involved at one point as well, I think. I mean, it's, look, I was overjoyed that CM Punk agreed with my take. Because I've said this take quite a lot. The more you do this on your TV show, it's a contrivance to set up or drive forward a conflict. Everyone knows what it is. But the more it happens, if you take a step back from the picture and look at all of it, and you examine and analyze this as an actual fictional universe, it makes it seem so wacky. Yeah. Like, oh, everyone's just lurking behind corners, waiting for the people they're feuding with. I don't like to get interviewed so they can creep up on the scene mm-hmm. and then do it. It's like, I'm just imagining an AEW canon in the universe that they've created. Just a whole score of people just like on their tiptoes, hiding behind walls, peering behind them so they can like attack it's like, that's really lame. Yeah. And I don't want to think of it in any way, shape, or form. Like the WWE thing where here's someone just standing backstage, not noticing the camera. It's never that bad because it's always a scheduled interview and the camera is acknowledged. But it's not. It's last night, it really wasn't that far away. And even though the company has completely lost its way and its buzz, the way that New Japan does these things makes it so much more believable. Like, they do... Press conferences after the match. Sometimes an altercation. More often than not, it's just an interview. I would really like an interview for the next three months to simply be an interview because I don't want to feel like this is wacky. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of it on on this show. Uh, anyway, let's move on because out came the inner circle. They reunited, uh, of course, uh, on a rampage. Out they come. Judas, usual sort of thing here. Uh, Santana hypes up the crowd, gets a great response, of course, uh, in Miami. And uh, it turns his attentions to American top team and the men of the year. And that, of course, brings out then brings out Dan Lambert talking about the inner circle jerk again, admonishes the crowd. Uh, Jericho responds to his boasting, basically, about what happened on Rampage by welcoming the fat-faced dipsh. Uh, fans, of course, chant the name, turns his attentions to Paige Van Zandt. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, he talked about her taking selfies and asked what filter she used. Was it sepia? Was it Juno? Was it bitch? <laughs> <laughs> Was it whoa? <laughs> uh, and he says, uh, keep involving yourself quite a lot with the whole inner circle stuff. Maybe you've got a 
you got a thing for Le Champion. Are you uh, sliding into my DMs next? What's going to happen? Well, I wouldn't worry about it because I wouldn't touch you with your husband's genitalia. I wouldn't touch you with your husband's cack. <laughs> uh, punk, great line. I don't believe him. I think he would. Fantastic. <laughs> Killed me on commentary, that. Uh, anyway, Jericho, now that they've got a reunited inner circle, says you always had the numbers game five on three, five on two, whatever. No, look now, five on five. Let's have it out sort of thing. Let's have a, a tag team match. Lambert says, oh, unfortunately, the men of the year have got bigger plans. They're kind of done with you. They want championships, yeah, in the words of Jake Hager. Uh, he runs down the inner circle, talks about how big Jake Hager's head is, um, talks about the rap sheets that uh, Pram Powerful have got, for example, uh, but says, look, Guevara's the only one holding gold, so maybe he's got a bit of sway to help them get that sort of title match. Don't like that. Um, Don't yeah. like that implication or the actual times it's happening. I got, I got a real pang of, like, old-school TNA. Oh, the power that the championships have. <laughs> Don't bring that over here. Um, yes, so he said that uh, he's going to present the terms, but he's not going to do it now. He's going to do it next week because, screw you, uh, Scorpio Sky reminds us that he pinned Jericho not once, but twice, and Sammy Guevara uh, cuts a nice promo. I thought it was a very good impassioned promo about he's the Spanish god, he's the TNT champion, he'll beat... Both of them of the year, you bitches, I'll beat you right now sort of thing. But we would, were, were waxing lyrical about this on the Rampage review. What do you reckon to this follow-up? Yeah, the trio's match ruled. This sucked. Implications up the arse that I hated. Like, my God. I don't like the idea, and it's happening with a disturbing frequency of wrestlers in AEW canon using some kind of convenient... Sway, situationally convenient sway to arrive at matches. Leo Rush gets Matt Seidel a match with CM Punk. Andrade gets FTR, as we'll discover, a mm -hmm. match with the Lucha Brothers. And now it's happening again in and around in a circle in American Top Team. Makes no sense. You're betraying the rankings enough as it is of late with the prevalence of tournaments and jokers. Um, nip all of this in the bud right now, please. Like, I legitimately, like, rolled my eyes and got pissed off with this. And Chris Jericho's promo was so boomer. Yeah. Like, you whore? <laughs> you want to suck my cock, you whore? Yeah. Like, it's, it's like, so far he said, oh, American top team are gay, and then this woman's a bitch and a whore. American top team, you're gay. Except the chick who can suck my cack if she <laughs> yeah, wants. Yeah, she's not gay because she wants to suck my cack the rest of the year. You're all gay. Yeah. You're a boomer. Stop it. It's really not that cool. And the worst thing about Chris Jericho is that he is a professional wrestling genius. He does not need to rely on this absolutely dusty tripe to get his feuds over. He's awesome when he's awesome. Recently, like, he is just such an inherently controversial figure. I was so high on his match with MJF All Out, and I think a, a few people were like, yeah, no, it was good, but, like, it wasn't great. And I'm thinking, that was pretty great, if you ask me. And the second he starts to get awesome again, like, kind of universally received as awesome in these trios matches and these tag matches where he's, like, it was really going hard, he just starts doing this shit on promos, and it's like, can you not just be the best of yourself every time? Mm. It's a bit of a hard ask, but, like, just don't be a boomer. Like, we hate Dan Lambert. In the fiction, 
for the things that you think are legitimately funny in real life. <laughs> but at the same time, it, this stuff's so hot. These, like, Jericho and Lambert together in these promo duels is electrifying. Like, I don't want to feel it half the time after he says a line like that, and then I can't help but feel it because it's just so well um, performed. A lot of the material's rubbish, but the execution's just phenomenal, and people are in love with it. And I can't help but get caught up in it, which is possibly the nicest thing I can say because I'm kind of resistant to this bollocks at this point. Mm. Uh, intrigued to know what you thought of what came next. It was the Lucha Bros defending the AAA Tag Team titles against Las Superranas or the Super Frogs, uh, I believe, if I'm if I'm translating that right. Uh, a mystery tag team. They're in green. They're a mystery. Unless you see a bunk who immediately after the bell rang said, I don't know if the Lucha Bros care, but that's clearly FTR. And the commentators were like, oh, is it? Okay, can, you, can you tell? And he's like, well, yeah. They're not doing any flips. And, you know, Dax and Cash, fairly definitive outlines. These, yes, you know, they've got a distinctive body shape. They're not, it looks slightly different to, who is it we said on, on the preview? Uh, Dragon Lee and Drillistico. Drillistico, that's it. tit of my preview. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they get unmasked uh, before we go to the break. Uh, they almost uh, trip themselves up on commentary because they said, oh, this is AAA rules. If someone gets unmasked, then that's the end of the match. And then just before they got unmasked, Tony went, I've been told it's AW rules. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, yeah, so they get unmasked and FTR uh, clothesline the Lucha Bros to take us to the ad break. Ah, this is a mess. <laughs> I'll finish up with it. It's an awesome kind of mess. <laughs> yeah. Phoenix makes a comeback with a mad dive, of course. Uh, Penta does that drop kick to the arse, um, to which JR says, hello, blow. And um, I think it was Punk, or maybe Excalibur says, I think it was the perineum. Don't make me think about it. Jim Ross got a cock in his ass. <laughs> On it, I mean. Because that's not a low blow. No. He hit the gooch. That's what they hit. Um, they hit a dive to the outside in amongst all this. Um, Cash Wheeler grabs one of the biot, uh, tries to use it, Penta dodges it, but he gets sent into the timekeeper's table to get taken out all of that. Uh, in the midst of all this, Dax tries to roll up um, Phoenix, uh, grabs the tights, grabs the ropes, but Phoenix just about kicks out. Tully Blanchard, wearing a green shirt, very nice, runs out, distracts the official, and um, as Phoenix is coming off the top, <laughs> I love this. Oh, I'm going to do some flippy stuff for you. How about you hit you in the fucking head with a belt? That's what happens. He gets nailed with a belt shot. Brain buster from uh, the Super Frogs. And they are the new AAA Tag Team Champions. Uh, it's kind of a guilty pleasure, this of mine. But I sense that uh, it's maybe not the purest thing that FTR has been involved in. Uh, yeah, guilty pleasure is exactly right. Like, every rational part of my being wanted to hate this. And yet, I kind of didn't and did at the same time. Yeah. It was like, you know, they've held those uh, tag team titles for two years. Whittled away. Whittled away. By the Super Frogs. <laughs> like, it's so lame. It's so goofy. It's so stupid. I'm trying to I'm trying to determine why I didn't really hate this. Do you know what I think might be? I'm mean, jumping slightly was ahead. It, was it the funny bit at the start? It was, it was, A, it was the funny bit at the start. The, they the like, they leapfrogs? They did leapfrogs and Super chest bumps. But also, it was the bit in the stairwell with Andrade and MJF and muchos dineros and all that. Look, FTR committed the hell out of the bit, which helped. They didn't have a boo-boo face. I've been reliably informed that 
if you're going to weaponize this as a means of burying AEW, and you can to an extent because they are partnering with AAA, but it's Triple H call, um, they would not sanction this. In fact, they appear to have made this happen on some level. Um, look, they're committed to the bit. It's all very silly. It was an objectively terrible and borderline, like, disgraceful thing <laughs> that was also just stupidly entertaining on its own terms. I'll tell you one thing. There's a, a generous take that is fostered by a company that is otherwise spectacular at its best. People don't remember this. FTR and the Lucha Brothers already had a match in 2022, and it was pretty botched. Oh, yeah. At Fight for the Fallen, they had a match, and we were like sitting in our attics or wherever we work from home at the time, just so hyped for it. Like, Christ almighty, the pandemic's the worst thing ever, but... AEW's been really cool, and this match is going to be rule. And it didn't. It was um, Lucha Brothers Blue. You know that spot where Penta wheelbarrows Phoenix? In, I remember that now, it was like, yes. Oh, my God, it took them five years to execute that spot. It was horrendous. The match kind of picked up, but it was just it was, it was unrecoverable after that. The briefest glimpse we got here of them working a 20-minute pay-per-view match looked phenomenal. Or it looked like it had the potential to be phenomenal. It was tight. The um, the eclectic range of their respective uh, styles was explored fabulously. That finish was unbelievable. The um, the flip from the short on clothesline that from Phoenix bumped unbelievable. After the really underwhelming events of last year, on the back of this rubbish angle that was subjectively quite entertaining on a perverse level, I at least can be assured that their pay-per-view match will be awesome. Mm. Uh, I, I Just looking on Twitter as well, uh, the joy, the gif that someone's posted here of of them hugging in the stairwell whilst FTR still wearing those stupid green luchador outfits. And also the fact that MJF, I mentioned this on the news this morning, tweeted, FTR are the greatest luchadors in the history of professional wrestling. <laughs> the other thing that really tickled me was someone, why would you do this, Michael Sidgwick, tweeted MJF saying, Hey, man, my grandma wants to take you out on a date. And Jeff replies, <laughs> I've read this four times today and I laugh every time. Tell that old skank I'm not interested. <laughs> Wasn't there something where there's some another MGF and Grandma Patter, where he said something along the lines of when she's busy washing the floor with her tits, tell her to give me a call? Uh, we can't endorse that. No. Can't endorse that. Uh, Dante Martin and Leo Rush are backstage. Leo Rush was, of course, ringside for Dante Martin's match. Actually helped him get to the ropes at one point. Directing his uh, his performance was great. Yeah. Leo Rush, money manager, money promo, money talent. Yeah, he uh, he said that Dante failed because of his own doing. Uh, even commentary acknowledged that they said to him, stop going up top and trying to risk these moves against someone like Malachi Black. Uh, he's trying to take Dante to new heights, and uh, he will be going to new heights because from this day forward... Dante's new tag team partner is going to be Leo Rush himself. He has effectively shoved Seidel out of the way without even explicitly saying it. I thought it was his genius. Sorry, so all that again, I got a message that I needed to read. I thought it was nice the way that he didn't say, we're getting rid of Seidel. He just said, I'll be your new tag team partner and then we can start winning. I thought it was a very nice way of 
shoving him out without explicitly saying, oh, yeah, we're not working with Seidel anymore. Yeah. No, this is good. And I really hope that um, this is a hint that uh, Darius Martin can return in some mm. capacity. The mere mention of a new tag team made us think, I don't think they're going to do this unless he's actually going to come back. And, and they referenced his injury as well as part of the uh, match itself when he was getting yeah, his legs so, targeted. Yeah, yeah, I'm really hopeful that he comes back. Imagine Top Flight versus Lucha Brothers, man. Just for the absolute banter. Yeah, it would be absolute. Why did you gesture towards? That, I thought tits. you were going to say that's going to be absolute tits. Yeah, yeah absolute tits. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's my that's my signal to you when you're about to say it on a podcast. Uh, let's talk about a match. Uh, the, the review of which is probably going to be longer than the actual match. Wheeler Utah versus John Moxley. Yes. What's the phrase that they always used to say that used to wire me up from JBL? They don't get paid by the hour. I think it was something along those lines. This was yeah, it was that. It Mo- was a, that was a Jim Ross euphemism for, for when someone absolutely sucked. Yes. I don't get paid by the hour. I.e. we've got this useless lump of twat in a squash match because we can't get him to do eight f- like functional minutes. Passable minutes, yeah. yeah. Uh Moxley was uh yeah, just fizzing. Um whilst they're trying to sell he's got a book coming out. He's like, yeah, Galloway immediately attacks Wheeler you uh, uh, before the bell. Suplex, ground and pound, paradigm shift. Thanks for coming. Bish, bash, bosh. Uh, and he goes out the way he came in. And, uh, yeah, a little spot afterwards with Orange Cassidy and the officials. Wheeler, you were great facials from him, to be fair. Just like, what the f- just happened? What did you make of this? I thought this was fantastic. Great. Especially how it feeds into the um, bracket announcement later on, which we'll get to with a very uh, reasoned analysis. Mm. Right. He beat the piss out of Wheeler, you I was expecting this to be like a six-minute match and expected to go 10 as a breakthrough because I've been doing a lot of that recently um, and you need at some point to establish. No, your stars are stars. They can't give uh, uh, they can't give loads every match, otherwise mm. it gets a bit blurred. So, no, the <laughs> Moxie didn't give him out. <laughs> he just completely wrecked his face, like bridge, and, bridge of the nose, smashed with forearms, like a brutal-looking lariat, paradigm shift right at the top of his dome. He made him look... This match made John Moxley look like this incredibly pissed off killer who's going to rampage all the way to the mm. final. Except Orange Cassidy's going to stand in his way, and if in fact John Moxley wins this tournament or potentially plays situational heel or full heel again the Tangman Page at some point, what a wonderful means of getting to that character shift by destroying Orange Cassidy in a way that he tried to do it with Wheeler here. Cassidy not having it because he's higher up the card. And the fans really not liking John Moxley for going full ham on Cassidy. Moxley versus Cassidy is going to happen, and it's going to be incredible. Yeah, just another, like you say, another uh, slow step towards this John Moxley heel turn that we've been anticipating for a while now. Yeah, absolutely. Even if even if it's situational in a program with Hangman Page, the idea of Moxley just having no fun whatsoever. <laughs> um, Surly Moxley versus Irreverent Cassidy is potentially where this whole character's been trending to for some time. I can't wait for that semi. Presumed semi. Mm. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash whatculture. Serena Deeb was backstage. She's not happy uh, with how the division, the women's division has gone since she went away. Uh, boasts about obviously stopping Hikaru Shida getting that 50th win. And then all of a sudden, uh, she's talking about dragging the division back up. She's jumped by Hikaru Shida and they brawl and they just cut away, basically. Uh, I mean, why wait until they're getting interviewed and it's like they're making a statement? They want to get some TV time. It's like, just chin her beforehand? Mm. Or just, in response, challenge her to another match? Like, it's it, uh, uh, such a great, wacky show. It was as wacky as it was great this time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was all over this shop. Uh, personified by what came next. Dark Order, Evil Owner, Alex Reynolds, and John Silver against the Super Click, the Young Bucks, and Adam Cole. Um, the Super Click attack. Dark Order, as they're doing pose before the match can even begin. Uh, they go for an assisted powerbomb on John Silver on the ramp, because apparently they're the shield. And uh, John Silver reverses it. Alex Reynolds takes everyone else out with a dive. Um, in, uh, initially, Superclick obviously in control. John Silver, I, I don't know why, every single time he does that, I mean, I, I often say, so-and-so ran wild, but it's the only way of describing what he does. He just, anything that's moving, he just clips with something, whether it be a kick, a punch, a dive, or whatever. Uh, it looked fantastic. Um, gets cut off, though. Um, and then Reynolds gets involved. He uh, goes for a dive, but Adam Cole cuts him off. Um, super click dominate as we go to commercial. When we come back, Nick Jackson uh, has lost his shoe. John Silver's making a comeback. Evil Uno's got in. There's stuff going on with the Young Bucks. And suddenly, out of nowhere, Mr. Socko is all elite, question mark? He goes for a, a mandible claw uh, on one of the Young Bucks with, with the sock on the hand, which just popped me huge. Uh, in the end, Adam Cole breaks all that up, though. Um He's got, uh, yeah, it must be Evil Uno uh, in the in the uh, camel clutch, and they go to do the spot with him holding him and the books batting off the ropes and then kiss him on the cheeks. 
What Adam Cole doesn't realise is, as they go bouncing off the back ropes, Silver and Reynolds have dragged the Young Bucks out and taken their place. And Adam Cole has this wonderful moment where he's got him in the camel clutch, he's getting kissed, and he's like doing his usual, like, yeah! And then he's like, wait a second, that doesn't feel like the kiss I'm used to. And he realises it's Silver and Reynolds. Uh, he's not He's not happy at all. Um they send him to crash into the books on the outside. Uh, Uno actually nearly wins the match. He hits something evil, but the books break up the pin, unfortunately. Uh, the books take out Uno, take out Silver. Uh, Cole and Reynolds are left in the ring. Reynolds gets a near fall. There's a surprise roll up on Adam Cole, but he runs into super kicks by the books. Uh, gets hit with the Panama Sunrise, gets hit with the BTE trigger, and whatever they're calling the last shot now, the boom, something like that. He keeps saying he's going to lower the boom. Yeah. It must just be called the boom. Yeah, I'll just call it the boom. Uh, he gets hit with that, and they get the victory. Post-match, in comes Jungle Boy. They get He gets attacked, though. It looks like the numbers game is going to catch up with him. But he goes underneath the ring, gets a chair, chases them off, except, of course, for Brandon Cutler, who's still there, who goes to use his cold spray on the chair. In the words of Pokemon... It's not very effective. He gets twatted, or he gets kicked by Jungle Boy, hit with a chair, and then he gets put in the snare trap and gets sprayed in his eyes. Uh, Jungle Boy looking incredibly strong off the back of this, but a wild match that preceded it. I mean, this is the sort of match, right, that doesn't really foster analysis because I enjoyed it for the same reason everybody else enjoyed it. It was just a whole, it was just a riot. It was a hoot. It was yeah. loads and loads of fun. But to arrive at the fun, to be an absolute nerd about it, you have to construct these sort of matches elegantly. You have to, like the John Silver spot, they always manage it so well, where it never feels like, they never telegraph that this spot's coming, even though the spot's always, the sequence is always the same. They always do so well to arrange the moving parts, and it's different every time to get like one of the heels in a certain position, uh, one of the heels by the apron, and another one lounging against the barricade for the uppercut. So you get, like, the first move, then you get the kick off the apron, then he does the dive off the apron onto someone else, and then the uppercut into the barricade. You can never... Because they're so good at, like, obscuring these pops and arranging these matches, they're just geniuses at this, the young things mm. at this point. You never see, all right, okay, Silver's going to do his thing. And it's good, but it's Silver doing his thing. It always feels electrifying all over again. The bit with John Silver and Alex Reynolds kissing Adam Cole. I, Adam Cole's got an absolutely perfect face. <laughs> it was beautiful, in fact, to see this face used for a punchline rather than shocked melodrama or, like, disbelief. Like, he's got a wonderful face. Use it to steer away from parody and one-note mm -hmm. stuff and just maximize that beautiful gorgeous, handsome, expressive face of Adam's calls. Um, within the fun, within the structure, analyzing the structure of the fun, because that's what everyone wants from their pro wrestling, <laughs> it was still incredibly dramatic. That evil Uno near fall. Yeah. Like, there's, there's no team or act on earth like the Young Bucks at making you feel like the match has ended. They've perfected the near fall, the false finish. There's the macula at it. And when they're at the best, this didn't really happen here, but... So great. This is an incidental aside of taking a move and then somehow the other guy comes in and makes you think they're going to win the match like a nanosecond after you've thought they've lost it. Pure palpitations. Uh, this is just enormously great fun. 
Yeah, even the roll-up, I give credit, the roll-up that Reynolds got on Adam Cole. I thought, oh, my, oh my God, I'm going to beat him. And then immediately when he kicks out, I went, yeah, of course, you know, no offense to Alex Reynolds, but of course he's not going to be yeah. the one to roll up and pin Adam Cole. But they're just, yeah, it's just so well-crafted. They're just masters, masters at laying these things out. Uh, we're really excited to see what you thought of the Cody Rhodes vignette that aired next. He was at his academy. Um, his, uh, his students, the other coaches are there. Oh, so glad you bothered to show up. You've been a bit lax with it all recently. Red Velvet's not happy. He just slaps the taste out of Cody Rhodes' mouth. Uh, and then there's this drill that, that armed Anderson is putting him through where multiple people attack him from all angles with, and he's been instructed on as to how to defend himself each time. And he sort of breaks down, and it involves him getting the crap kicked out of him briefly. He's bleeding from the mouth, and he wants to know what on earth they're actually doing here. And he says, what's this supposed to teach me? And Armed Anderson pulls out his phone and shows him a photo of himself and, obviously, Cody's dad, Dusty Rhodes, beating the out of each other and busting each other wide open back in the day. He says, look, I know you've always said you never wanted to disappoint the kids, but... Do you think the kids would have thought Dusty was bad for putting, you know, making me have, what, 20, 30-odd stitches that night? No, because I had it coming. Malachi Black's got it coming, too. Your thoughts on them revisiting this match again and whether this vignette succeeded in selling you on it either? I'm fascinated by where this is going to go, where it's all headed, without really investing much in the actual journey, which is the problem. Like, Red Velvet just slapped him in the face. The kind of uh, invisible camera-adjacent framing of the segments, not for me. The general weirdness of Red Velvet just slapping him. <laughs> yeah. Like, that would never happen. I did not take that seriously as something that could conceivably ever happen. Like, would you go and slap your boss? <laughs> no. No, your trainer or whatever. It just It's just, the, obviously, on put her up to it or whatever. It's all a bit, it's it's wacky. It's absolutely wacky. The thing is, right, the vast majority of fans are clued in, switched on. They read a lot of the interviews in the media and they read the reports in the news. If you don't and you're thinking, Jesus Christ, the promotion that doesn't do rematches is going to do this one again. I'm principally interested in this because Cody Rhodes has said, I'm not an idiot. I listen. I know the reactions I'm getting. I'm playing chess, not checkers. Everything I'm going to do is informed by what's going on. I'm not burying my head in the sand. Don't worry. He's also said he's absolutely not going to turn heel because he loves doing the charity work and he likes being a good representative of the company. He doesn't really want to sully that by doing a like a cartoonish on-screen heel role. I don't necessarily agree with that philosophy as much as I am the Cody guy. This absolutely isn't ending, therefore, in Cody Rhodes gets his revenge over Malachi Black and the hero wins the day and everyone hates it because they don't want the hero to be the hero anymore. That's not happening because Cody Rhodes knows mm -hmm. that if that did happen, you'll never get cheered, albeit selectively and inconsistently, again. I'm on the hook for all of this for reasons that are entirely beyond... The, the lines of the fiction. So it's just weird. Mm. Uh, disappointing what came next. Uh, Darby Allen no-showing. Uh, we tried to have an impromptu match. Very rare that we get those in AEW. And uh, yeah, Darby Allen, because he's not a great employee, let's be perfectly honest, no-shows AEW. Because um, MJF, good guy that is, comes out, 
speaks a bit of, let's say, Spanglish, to be kind. Um, she says, Miami's... Miami smells like hookers and gasoline. Brilliant. Uh, he's getting his ring gear, though. Um, and he says, let's have it out, then. I thought, oh, brilliant. We're getting MJF Darby Allen. Good. Well, no, because it's an impromptu match, and they all suck. Well, it's, well, and then Darby Allen, you know, didn't, didn't show up. Lazy bastard. That mystery attack from... We still don't know who it was. Still no, no word as to who that was. Anyway, uh, Darby Allen, of course, isn't cleared after his attack. Uh, by the mystery people the previous week. Uh, he says, look, I just don't think you're ready to fight me. I think I did actually break you mentally. As Heckles, MJF says, hey, fat guy, <laughs> I can't hear you. I'm the one with the microphone. You've got six chins or whatever <laughs> it was. Uh, and then he feigns shock about hearing about this attack on Derby Island last week. <laughs> Tony Schiavone, did you know about this? <laughs> Pop me daft. Um, he says, you know what? No, we're still going to have this. We're going to have a match tonight against Darby Allen. Calls for Wardlow, who comes out with Bryce Remsburg effectively under his arm. Uh, and he gets him to count to 10. Uh, once he gets to 10, then MGF will be declared the winner. He gets to nine. When the lights go out, it starts bloody snowing in Miami. Sting makes his appearance. He storms down to the ring, baseball bat in hand. And MJF pushes Wardlow into Sting and hightails it out of there. And fakes going back into the ring, even when Sting's dropped the bat and changes his mind about it. Uh, what do you make of the Sting confrontation with MJF and Darby Allen? And no showing the show. I would describe this as, um, you ever heard a cover version of a song that's really quite faithful to the original arrangement and yet it's still really good? Mm. That's what this was, but it was covering like a well-worn trope of the forfeit, the obliviousness. The Arctic Monkeys Love Machine by Girls Aloud. That's a, that's a very good comparison to what you're talking about there. Yeah. Like a faithful but still good cover version. This was MJF doing a really funny and amusing version of a well-worn pro wrestling heel trope in which the heel pretends that he hasn't attacked someone, has mock sincerity about what has happened, and says, well, you know, if you can't compete then, unfortunately, I'm going to have to be declared the winner. Like, it's all very worn stuff. Um, but, you know... Early in the story, it was well done for what it was. I'm not like, I'm desperate for this goddamn pay-per-view match. I'm not in that mode yet. So, But this company is the unironic, let's see how it plays out company. Yeah, his performance is fabulous. Um, the We've got Tony like, Schiavone, did you know about this? Like, great. We've Bonnie. got like four weeks, four or five weeks till it. So yeah, you're right. They don't want to burn through stuff too quickly. Not, then... well, I know what this company does. Yeah, and, I'm yeah. not, and I refuse to be made a fool out, out of when I know that this company very meticulously plots its long-term stories to the point that if you criticize them by week one or week two, then you look like a tit by week five and week six <laughs> because it's all going to a destination. I'm just not quite there yet. I've got no doubt that I will get there. But, the you know, the cover, like, great, funny. And then what I loved most about it was... Are you speaking the truth? Yeah. What I loved most about it was Justin Roberts' kind of puzzled look of... Oh, a match. It's not on my broadcast sheet. You know why? Because this is meant to emulate a sports card. So when Chelsea versus Man United doesn't happen at halftime during Newcastle United versus Wolves, <laughs> you know, yeah. these things that don't happen, like you'd think freaking Gary Neville's, got, like Jamie Carragher, oh, what's that? And you've got to spit some kid in the car because he's so furious. Um... Yeah, no, I like that detail a lot. Uh, I'm a nerd. 
another uh, backstage uh, brawl game next. Anna Jay was being asked about the Dark Order's loss. Britt Baker interrupted her. She said, they're losers, you're a loser. And then they start brawling. Nothing really to say about this, really. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. Like, this episode, to some degree, was phoned in. Yeah. The, a bit it's, like a, what, it's a Saturday, man. Get loads of stuff in the can that we can do better stuff with next week. It's a Saturday... Not a night off, there's never a night off, but it's their version of a night off. Yeah, and hence why we got Penelope Ford versus Kira Hogan next, which yeah. played out to crickets. Um, it wasn't great, all this. Uh, they weren't really on the same wavelength. Ford recovers uh, after they initially had a bit of confusion. Hits her with a hip toss. She's in control. They're fighting on the top rope uh, as we come back from the break. Hogan hits a superplex. Uh, Hogan hits a series of uh, clotheslines, running dropkick, but then Ford out of nowhere, handspring cutter, puts her in the mooter lock, gets the submission victory, and then what the reason why this match happened happened after this match, which was Ruby Soho responding to the attack that Penelope Ford orchestrated on Rampage on Friday night. She runs out, she attacks her, but she doesn't go after her on the ramp, which initially I thought, oh, for fuck. They've done the WWE trope of the ropes of some reason separating you from someone you want to attack. But that's because the bunny was out there. So at least there was one bit of sense in all this. Is there going to be yet another bunny and Penelope Ford do single, 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 singles matches yep. and then have a tag match against the babyface opponents, in this case, Ruby Soho yep, yep, yep. and uh, Kira Hogan? My God, that is weak, weak, mid, weak, mid, apathetic, borderline sexist booking, considering what they... Do with the men in comparison. Yeah, you saw with the with Anna Jay and Take On to yeah, do that with Ruby Soho. Yeah, I mean it's just totally weak sauce. Like um, the they got woefully lost. Like um, like Bush League, Bush League. The first minute of this match got totally lost. So much so that you can almost almost justify not putting a strict amount of creative attention on a match like this or a division like this. It, it, we're in that paradox again, and it kind of stings. They were, they salvaged it by the end. Kira Hogan showed a decent amount of fire. Mm. Like, it, it, in a match like this, if you're watching someone who's green as grass, <laughs> and by the end of it, you're thinking, oh, actually, there's some potential there. It's probably the most you could hope for. And I, I just, just got something out of this, a shred of stomach. Uh, what I did get something out of was what came next. Uh, Miro, he's uh, he's had a bit of a crisis of confidence, some might say. He's, he's not sure what happened that caused him to lose the TNT Championship. He says, God, have you turned on me? You've given me a body of granite and a neck of sand. Love that line. Uh, he said, look, he's either going to be a champion or an enemy. It's time to destroy. He hasn't seen his wife since losing the title. He literally says, why have you forsaken me? Uh, well, he's done pleading now. Everyone else will know pain until he becomes God's favourite champion once again. What a recovery this was after losing the title. Oh, a worker as well. Oh, sorry, Lana. Until I got the job done, I can't... I can't think. I can't conceive of even sharing a bed with my love. I don't deserve your love. He doesn't want to watch what she wants to watch upstairs. <laughs> Either wants to play on the Switch, or I do you fancy White Lotus. I don't really fancy that, right? Okay, well... <laughs> I was going to go to sleep downstairs and I don't yeah. want to watch your thing. Um, I'm being facetious because this promo was incredible. Miro is, once again, the prestige TV character actor in this corny freak show world of professional wrestling. He's absolutely unbelievable. 
I don't know what his direction is next. I'm on the hook for all of it. Um, yeah, he's awesome. And then the next promo, somehow it was even better. Mm. Probably should be the AEW Championship Eliminator Tournament, but still. Uh, Hangman, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. that in a sec. Yeah, Hangman Page came out, a great reaction. Uh, he came out, got an interview with Tony Schiavone. He said, look, he's excited for full gear. He talks about his history. Um, talks about the beginnings of, you know, leaving Ring of Honor and with his friends starting this new company, AEW, and they wanted to change the world, but it feels like the world changed them. Uh, again, yeah, he talks about failing to become the first AEW world champion and then losing again, going on a bit of a losing streak, losing his confidence, losing his friends along the way. And he said, look, the one thing that always brought him back was the people chanting cowboy shiz. Uh, he says that means a lot of things to him, including, love this line, going back home to be there for the birth of a beautiful baby boy. Brilliant. Uh, he says, when you fall off the horse, you get back up, you keep going. He says that he knows the fans still believe in him. And for the first time in his life, Michael Sidgwick, he does too. And uh, full gear, Paige is going to give us everything. His blood, sweat, and one way or another, probably his tears and cowboy shiz. Love this promo. It was absolutely incredible. His best promo yet. Um, what I loved about this is I don't necessarily think there was a need for exposition here. If you listen to the reactions he gets all the time that he got on this night as well, everyone has connected at least some of the dots of all the subtle seeds he's planted across his chirons. Um, his like, really muted facial expressions. He's such a subtle storyteller. You're selling now to a pay-per-view audience, you kind of need to be a little bit broad about it. This is like um, the major label debut, to use a music analogy again on this podcast, where you have to, at some point, when you sign to a major label, polish your sound, make it a little bit more accessible to a mass public, general public, if you want to make all the money. It's time he makes money. He's going to have to broaden his act to some degree. It's very, very subtle, everything he does. What a major label debut this was. This was his Nevermind. It was absolutely <laughs> incredible. Um, goosebumps when he said, for the first time, I believe in me too. That was the best line because it gave me goosebumps. Everyone absolutely adored it as well. And my other favorite aspect of this goddamn promo is that he just stopped short of giving you the babyface promise. The babyface promise in pro wrestling is something that you cannot betray. If you are saying you're going to do it and you promise to do it, that's it. And that's traditionally how the babyface sold the tickets for, yeah, okay, we're a bunch of carnies and we screwed you with like, oh, DQ finishes up the ass and then I promise to win. Right, okay, well, I'm going to pay my money to see this one because the babyface said he's going to win. Just stop short of that to cast a little bit of doubt over the outcome because I think everyone kind of knows it's time. And one way or another, you're going to get my tears. Oh, which way? Mm. Which way is it going to go? Beautiful. Uh, we found out that uh, Rampage this yes now this week will feature an on-time match between Britt Baker and Anna Jay, Pack Andrade El Idolo two yes and uh, some of the world title eliminator matches Cody Rhodes versus Malachi Black three. Well, I love this. Is will that be on AW Dynamite? I'm a nerd for this kind of stuff, and I don't like this. I was amused by it, but I don't like it. WWE with WrestleMania stick to Roman numerals the entire time. Or if you're going to abandon them, stick to the abandoning of them. Actually, no, stick with it. It always looked cool. Pack versus Andrade is two. Mm -hmm. And Cody Malachi Black is three in Roman numerals. Aye, aye, aye. 
like, I love Cody. One of the reasons why I kind of identify with him because he's a little bit pretentious like me. So he's <laughs> definitely mandated the Roman numerals without a doubt. Um, but like, keep it consistent, please. Indeed. And there's probably a bigger debate than Roman numerals that has more important things to concern itself with than loads of rematches creeping in. Ugh. Not too many for me yet, but it's one to keep an eye on. Indeed. Right. It's time for the main event. Is he like, if you modulated his voice to make him sound like a monster. I've slowed, <laughs> slowed it down. And sped it back up as well. No, it's like 0.8 speed or something. Because you were experimenting with this in the office. Yeah. It's a little bit of inside baseball. And you did one that lasted for like eight seconds. It's time for the main event. Can we next, can I have a button suggestion? Absolutely. Can you have a button that plays Bobby Fish's theme for the full three minutes? <laughs> because it is awesome. I can't, but shout out to, I can't play it right now, but shout to, out. To uh, Dan Valentine's for writing it, because it's awesome. Oh, I was going to shout out Adam Gilder, who's literally sent me Graveyard Mouse as an audio clip to, to add to oh, everything. Champion. Champion. Thank you, Adam. I'll get that on in the next few days. Don't worry. But th- I just saw that. Uh, when did he send that? This afternoon. Look at this all over it. Thank you, uh, Adam, for that one. Anyway, the main event was Bobby Fish versus Brian Danielson. And they wrestled like two men who'd wrestled the night before, if I'm perfectly honest here. It was enjoyable, though. Um, Fish he just kicked him. Just kept on kicking him. That's what he was doing uh, to try and take Brian Danielson down. He's still recovering from, yeah. I mean, that's what I'd do as well if I was facing someone who'd just gone 20 minutes with Moro Suzuki. I think JR even said something similar. Um, Danielson recovers, sends Fish out to the floor. Tope Suicida, uh, but then Fish recovers to kick the legs out of Danielson's legs whilst he's on the apron and take control as we go into a break. Danielson starts his comeback as we come back, countering a crab into an ankle lock, German suplex. Uh, at some point as well, he uh, he gives Fish a taste of his own medicine, wrapping his legs around the ring post. Um, he uh, lays in kicks. Uh, he targets Fish's knee, as I said, uh, but Fish catches a kick. It's a nice backdrop driver for a near fall. Fish hits an avalanche falcon arrow, locks him in a knee bar. Danielson fights out of it, and then they're in that 50-50 position, and uh, Punk's doing a great way of explaining this to the casual fan. And then suddenly out of nowhere, Danielson leaps up, grabs him, puts him in a heel hook, and gets the submission victory. You alluded to this on the Rampage review, but the uh, What Culture Wrestling Podcast mega fans will allow you to repeat yourself. Um, tell us more about why this is so important in mixing up all these finishes and what you made of this match. Well, this match, despite a four-and-a-half star finish, was kind of a gentleman's... Th- <laughs> like, it's... I would have loved this. Capital L loved if it wasn't for the fact that we just saw Danielson versus Suzuki the night before. And it's like, that wasn't in the original plans to do yet, but they realized, you know, if you're coming at us, we'll come at you back with something much cooler than, you know, a contract signing, even though it was cool on SmackDown. It was only ever going to suffer in comparison. It, in fact, did suffer in comparison. And yet, I think I like this match more the more I think about it than I did the actual experience of watching it. And to be fair, the experience of watching it was just a perfectly built, solid as all hell, better than solid because solid is a 
you know. Yeah. It's yeah. a it's a euphemism for boring. Backhanded compliment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But this is like solid too. By the end, really, 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 very good. I had all the goddamn time in the world for this finish. In fact, I wanted to marry it. Just the very creative way of. They didn't exchange near falls at a blistering pace in this surging drama where you don't know who's going to win. They struggled, hold for hold, measure for measure, on the mat, and Danielson, squeaking out the win as the superior technician, had the idea to apply the heel hook at the very end of this grappling exchange. That I th- him as well, and it looked rough. I thought this was so clever, so creative. The work was so well done. And it didn't salvage, it just completed a really nice TV match that I was a little bit... It's, it's hard to get exhilarated by Bobby Fish, but it's just so well-crafted. Yeah, I love him. And he's so Everything he does look like it hurts so much. And I think maybe I just need to like retrain my brain when I'm watching him in the ring on Dynamite because it's a different... It's a compliment to the um, something like the trios match. Um, something like the high spots we get from a Dante Martin. Um, maybe I just need to appreciate and just stay with it for the duration. Mm. Um, the finish of this was so goddamn great, so intelligent. And the need to give Brian Danielson... Sammy Guevara needs a good reign with the title. One, he deserves it. Two, he's really good. Look at his performance in the trios match. Three, it's good that you establish one of your homegrown, if you like, act. Malachi Black or insert X-Heel wins it often. When... That person loses. They need to lose it to Danielson, who needs to hold it for a year and do an open challenge. I've said this on Twitter. The mega fans will forgive me. Danielson doing a different finish to every match isn't just cool as hell. It doesn't just portray him as this doyen who's so skilled at every aspect of pro wrestling. The complete pro wrestler is the, re- is the character he's playing. It's going to inform just endless mm-hmm. waves of drama when in three months' time, he's going to apply a heel hook on someone. And you think, oh, he can finish someone off with that that's going to be a near fall or a false finish or a moment of drama. And then he's going to go for the cattle mutilation and we know he can beat someone else with that. Oh my God. People have been saying for years, you can't overdo it, but multiple finishers should really be the norm. Mm, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, let's conclude by getting your thoughts on this uh, AW World Championship Eliminator Tournament brackets then. Uh, on the left-hand side, uh, on one side, you've got uh, John Moxley versus 10 and Orange Cassidy versus Powerhouse Hobbs. The winners of those two matches will meet in the semi-final. On the other side, Brian Danielson versus Dustin Rhodes and Eddie Kingston versus Lance, Lance Archer. My thoughts on the brackets are that no one's going to care about my thoughts or the collective thoughts on the bracket when these semifinals hit because these semifinals are going to be exceptional. Danielson versus Dustin Rhodes will be great. Danielson versus either Archer or Kingston, and I can't call that one at all. I'm suspecting Archer, but we'll see. Danielson versus Archer is going to be incredible. It's going to hurt that we're not getting... Danielson Kingston yet, but I just think dynamic. Watching this version of Danielson versus this version of Archer, and I'm trying to ground him, and Archer's just refusal to do it, I think, incredible. Uh, Marxy versus 10 just feels like it's another three-minute, four-minute, five-minute at most match. What I don't like about these brackets, despite the fact that the semifinals, the final we know what it is, it's Moxley versus Danielson. The semifinals, I think, both matches will be incredible in completely different ways. The quarterfinals are ways to get to the semi in the final without beating someone who we don't really want to beat. I don't care 
or I wouldn't care about these brackets if it wasn't for the fact that they have an existing ranking system. Mm. And I know you don't want to beat four guys arbitrarily who are winners and who you really want to do something with going forward for the sake of a tournament. But don't do a tournament, or at least just start from the semifinals. And uh, yeah, I, I yeah, like get it. Like you say, these are these are means to an end. These quarterfinals. Yeah, just. I also think it speaks volumes that four is in the office. Picked people. I just realised four of us picked people to win this tournament. I don't think any of them are in it. Malachi Black's not in it. Malachi Black's not in it. MJF's not in it. Uh, was it Cole and Miro? Yeah. <laughs> but that is speaks to a wider point. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Like they, you say, like. It just, it's, here's another thing. We said this literal exact same thing last year when we saw Joey Jella before he got replaced and there was someone else who was just like, well, he's not ranked. Might have been another one in the dark order. Is it called Cabana? It could be, yeah. Hangman Page. I'll look that up whilst you talk. There were at least two that we were like, what on earth? Like we know why you're not in it because you can't beat four people who are effectively made or you don't want to beat yet. What happened after this tournament? The semi-final was great. The final was a borderline classic, one of the greatest pay-per-view openers of all time. Is that a great recall? Cobana versus Hangman Page. Fantastic recall from me. And what happened subsequent to that? What happened is that ahead of the next pay-per-view, which was Revolution, and then one subsequent to that, Double or Nothing, is that the ranking system got re-emphasized as a storyline driver, and they did some wonderful work with it centered earlier this year around Hangman Page. They will do different things, and they won't rely on tournaments all the time. They won't rely on jokers all the time, nor will they rely on the ranking system, but they will revisit each one cyclically. I trust them to revisit the ranking system when the storyline demands it. It's uh, a situationally convenient tournament to book. That's what it is. But I don't care because I've got faith that they will do some cool stuff with the ranking system, just like they did this time last year. Yes, I look at the tournament from last year. You mentioned a couple of the, the, the first round matches. I mean, there was some great quarterfinals in there. Jungle Boy versus Wardlow and Phoenix versus Penta. The semis, you got Penta versus Kenny Omega and Hangman Page versus Wardlow. Yeah. So, yeah, trust the process. Trust the process. This exact conversation happened last year and AEW got better afterwards. So, even better, I should say, afterwards. So, Touch grass. <laughs> right, let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch there, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Wilbur. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Oh, you are getting your money's worth today. Already out our reviews of SmackDown and AEW Rampage. And still to come later on today, our preview ahead of <laughs> Monday Night Raw. <sighs> It's like, do I have to? You, yes, contractually. But oh, Murray's gone home as well. I was going to see if he could do it. <laughs> but we'll keep it relatively short for you. I'll be gentle. Uh, I'm timing it. I'm timing it. Okay. <laughs> Let's know your thoughts on Dynamite, though. This has been the review of AW Dynamite. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.